it's just so exciting to hear young people who are going out to share the gospel in hard-to-reach places. It's inspiring to me. Um, as, as one of your missionaries, this church has been phenomenal in supporting missions throughout the world. And I'm honored to be here before you to present God's word to you and ask that the Lord would somehow use my uh, meditations of my heart over the last week and the words of my mouth to edify you today. I'm an old guy, um, so I actually recall sitting right over there at Ronnie Stevens' installation in First Evan some almost 30 years ago. Um, sadly, uh, I'm not Ronnie Stevens. Um, I'm not Cole Huffman, I'm not Taylor Park, I'm not Jim Fleming, uh, I'm just a missionary psychologist from Spain, um, but I, I hope that somehow uh, this will benefit you. When I landed in Memphis just a few days ago, the woman who was picking us up met us with a cane. And both Amy and I looked to her and said, why are you why you have a cane? Did you, did you hurt your foot? Uh, she said, no, uh, I do not walk outside around Memphis without a stick or without a dog. And I thought, oh, oh, okay, wow. Um, things must really be bad here in Memphis. And as we began to unpack with her some of why it was that she had a dog or a stick with her wherever she went, it was clear that things in Memphis haven't gotten better since we left. It seems in some ways they, they've gotten worse. As I was thinking about coming to Memphis uh, and being here before you all today, I, I heard about Jim Fleming's talks about the persecution of the church in Daniel. And as I uh, mulled that over and spent some time praying with the Lord, I had a sense about what I should share with you this morning. And it was about hope. I want to focus on one particular passage in God's Word. It's Romans 15, 13. You can turn to me if you like. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This will be one of many passages that we'll look at, but the phrase I want to focus on is abounding in hope. We live in a world that isn't very hopeful. There's a war in Ukraine. There's wildfires everywhere. The country is polarized. There's shootings in schools today, children being killed. There's so much disinformation and propaganda and misinformation. Corruption seems to be everywhere we look. In Memphis today, I was looking, uh, because I used to do inner city ministry here, at what are the rates of addiction and homelessness and violent crime they're all much worse than when I was here some 20 years ago. There's so much fear here. It's palpable when we're walking around in Memphis. 
And then there's personal tragedies, right? We have aging parents. We're aging ourselves. Parts are wearing out. Children are not walking with the Lord. Grandchildren aren't walking with the Lord. We're getting bullied at school. We're afraid for our own personal safety. We're afraid for the safety of those that we love. So this is an audacious request that God makes of us to be hopeful. Paul asks this in his prayer, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Are you filled with hope overflowing? Well, I'd like to give you some access points to hope using God's Word and some of my experience over the last 30 years of being a lender of hope to other people. There are four ways that I want to share with you that God oftentimes will give us access to His hope, to this living hope that we celebrate in Jesus Christ. Access from the future, from the past, from the present, and then ways in which we rise above our circumstances. These four ways I want to share with you this morning. The first I want to share with you is how do we bring about hope in the here and now from the future? Well, I learned this actually while I was here in Memphis. I used to work with Christ Community. My job was primarily focusing on helping African-American churches establish centers for caring for their congregation and in their neighborhood, primarily around issues of trauma, domestic violence, homicide, suicide, uh, they saw it all. As I began to work with these pastors, um, I thought I was gonna be this great help to them. I just got my doctorate in clinical psychology, um, but what I learned was they actually had an awful lot to teach me. They had been working with people who had all of these horrible things happen to them for decades without a clinical psychologist. And so one of the pastors in particular took me in under his wing, uh, Elder Jerry L. Ivory, and he began to talk to me more about the struggles, what it was like to be an African-American, the struggles of his parents and his grandparents, the realities of being enslaved, of being oppressed, of experiencing discrimination all the time. Just hearing more and more about the history of his people, I was captivated and overwhelmed by the stories of slavery and their amazing resiliency. I don't know if you saw um, The 12 Days as a Slave, powerful movie if you haven't seen it. Um, in reality, what they experienced was downplayed even in that movie when you see all the horrors that were there. But I continue to ask him, well, what is it that, that got you through all of that? How is it that these people survived those experiences of oppression? And he would always speak of heaven. He would say that our people recognized that this could not be what it was all about, that there had to be something beyond what we were experiencing here and now, and that beyond is what brought them hope. He introduced me to spirituals and gospel music, which I love to this day. One in particular by Mahalia Jackson is one of my favorites. It goes like this. 
Soon I will be done with all the troubles of this world. Soon I will be done with all the troubles of this world. I'm going home to live with God. And these spirituals, they'd repeat over and over again to, to borrow off of the future of heaven to bring them hope to survive the day before them. This pastor challenged and expanded my small, uninspiring view of heaven. Think angels playing harps on clouds. Not very inspiring. Or maybe lots of bowing to God, also not inspiring. He had a whole uh, beautiful understanding of what heaven would be like, things that we even uh, were singing about earlier. A sea of glass, streets of gold, no more crying, no more dying, complete freedom, joy unimaginable, beauty that blew you away. This is what he talked about that helped him and his people survive some of the most difficult experiences in life. John 14.1 starts off, let not your hearts be troubled. And then he goes on to talk about heaven. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go before you to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. C.S. Lewis said, death is only the beginning of the real story. The great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before, this is what awaits us all. One of my favorite examples of this that really helped me understand more of how we should be living differently than those who do not have the hope of the future that we do was uh, in a sermon by Tim Keller of two men who were told to go to work for a year, hard labor for a year. One of them was told, you're going to get minimum wage. The other one was told that at the end of the year, you're going to get $10 million. How do you think each one of them worked that year? Very differently. Why do we act like we're all working for minimum wage when we know what awaits us at the end? Abound in hope. If future seems hard to access, the Lord asks us to look to the past. Scriptures are fraught without this, uh, with this. They're always looking back to the past. The Jewish people are known for bringing back the ways in which God had provided for them and bringing it into the present so that they could get through whatever was before them. Psalm 124 said, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, and then goes on to remember all the ways in which God had provided for the Israelites. The Lord's salvation, saved from enemies, crossing the Red Sea, providing water in the desert and food in the wilderness. Jesus himself institute communion I think it's written right down here. Do this in remembrance of me. What are we doing in remembrance of him? We're remembering 
our living hope, Jesus Christ. What he did for us in the past affects us here and now. It's what gives us hope today, even in the face of all the things that we seem to be confronting. The trouble is we're forgetful people. When life weighs heavy and the hills of life get steep, it's hard to keep going and forget how far the Lord has already brought us. I remember when we were leaving to go to Spain. We had moved from here out to California to be near our mission organization. Back then it was called Church Resource Ministries. And I was putting my girls to bed. We have three daughters. Um, I went to put one to bed. She was already crying when I put her to bed. Daddy, why do I have to leave my friends? We prayed, put her to bed, went to the next daughter. Daddy, I don't want to leave our home here. I love my bedroom. Put her to bed, knowing she was also going to be crying herself to sleep. Went to the third daughter. She was just crying and didn't want to say anything and just said, Daddy, will you pray for me? So I prayed for her, really feeling the weight of this crazy move. We were going all the way to Spain. I went into our bedroom and saw that my wife, too, had been weeping. She, too, was crying about leaving family and all things familiar. So I uh, did what I was normally doing at that time. I went out to this cul-de-sac. It was an undeveloped part of the neighborhood. And I just walked the cul-de-sac round and round, crying out to the Lord, Lord, are we crazy? What are we doing? Why are we leaving this wonderful place with these great people, this amazing church that we had found? As I walked around there, the Lord brought to mind all these ways in which he had provided for me and my family. And I heard him say, you know, we're always doing crazy things, you and me. Um, this is another crazy thing that you're going to be doing, but I'm with you. And then he brought to mind these times in my life where God had done crazy things for me. When I was uh, in high school, my dad went bankrupt. I was at a private Christian school in Dallas, Texas. We had the conversation as a family, you're, you're not going to be going to college because we don't have any money. And because he went bankrupt, they use your previous year's taxes, and so I wouldn't get any financial aid. And then out of nowhere, I got a full ride to this school I hadn't heard much about, Wheaton College. I, the first time I ever saw Wheaton College was when I came there with my bags freshman year, and it was an amazing experience. God had provided in a crazy way for me and my family. The Lord also, as I was walking around that cul-de-sac, brought to mind a time when I was here. We were at Christ Community. It was called uh, Christ Community uh, medical clinic at that time. Now I think it's Christ Community Health Services. It was me and four other doctors. We were just a couple of years into trying to develop this fledgling little clinic. We had uh, Burt Waller, who was the CEO of the WED. He came and was consulting with us, and he had looked over all of our books, and he said, I've got some bad news for you. Within the next couple of months, this ship is going to sink unless we stop seeing these immigrants, particularly the pregnant immigrants. So we need to just change that. Otherwise, everything that you put your, your, your work, effort, money into is going to completely uh, go belly up. 
we said, let's pray. We ended up praying together as a team. Uh, and after we prayed, we really felt like the Lord was saying, this is what we called you to do. We called you to come and share the gospel through medicine, through uh, psychological services, to the least of these, to those people who don't have access to the kinds of things that most of us do. Of course, uh, Bert Waller and the COO at the time uh, thought we were crazy. Okay, well, uh, I guess you're going to just run this thing into the ground. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll see. That very week, they went to go meet with the foundation. They thought that they were meeting with the foundation that was going to tell them, we're going to stop funding for you all. In fact, what ended up happening is the foundation said, we not only want to continue funding with you, but we want to add another million dollars to the work that you're doing because we believe God is doing amazing things through your clinic. And that turned our clinic around. And as you can see, even today, these clinics are everywhere throughout Memphis and have done an amazing work of the kingdom here. While I was in that cul-de-sac walking around, knowing that my children and my wife were crying themselves to sleep, the Lord spoke to me and gave me hope. But he gave me hope from the things that he had done in my life that he brought me to. I was able to remember the Lord. The Lord brought those things to mind as I was circling around that cul-de-sac and was able to come back and slept soundly with my family. And we did move to Spain. And grateful that we did. We remembered the Lord. Do you remember a time in significant suffering in your life? What got you through? How did you find the hope to keep going? Sometimes it's hard to remember when we're really despairing. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So maybe you have difficulty looking to the future to find hope. Maybe you can't find it from the past. God tells us that he is a very present help in trouble. Some of you might feel like you're in trouble right now. The Lord is present here and now. One of the places where I've seen the most hopelessness is when I'm evaluating people for suicide, people who want to take their life. They're so uh, lost, so, uh, feel so helpless that they are considering ending their life. I've had uh, the honor of sitting with people in this sacred moment, hundreds of people that I've evaluated for suicide. People do drastic things when they, are, when they run out of hope. We realize, too, that suicide isn't because people are depressed, although that can be a part of it. The primary thing you need to evaluate when people are considering suicide is their hope. And one of the questions that I teach people to ask if they find themselves in those situations is, what's kept you from doing it? We don't think of that question, but it's an important question to ask. I remember here in Memphis when I was working with uh, this one woman, I asked her that very question and she said it was her little dog. Her little dog was the only thing keeping her tethered to this world. She would have taken her life if it wasn't for the dog. After we talked about the dog, I asked, how old is that dog? How healthy is that dog? Of course. 
fortunately, the, the dog was six and was healthy. Uh, but, but through the window of the one thing that she was giving her hope, we were able to expand that to some friends that she had, uh, to, to her own health that she had. We were able to look at what were the things that she had in the present that were actually giving her hope that she could easily forget because when we get despairing, we get tunnel visioned and we can't see all the ways in which God is actually providing things for us and giving us hope. I had a time of this in my own life. I was uh, overwhelmed after we had moved to Spain. We had been there about a year. I was laying in bed and tears began to come down my face. I wasn't even fully aware of why. My boss had come over and had been very critical of some of the work that we had done, said some harsh things to me. I felt like a failure. It made me aware too that I just didn't have any friends or anybody that understood me when I was there in Spain. I had learned Spanish, but I was talking like a four-year-old and people treated me like a four-year-old. I had recently been shamed at a gas station because I didn't know how to ask for bread. Yes, you get the best bread in Spain at the gas station. Kind of odd, but it's true. I also remember picking up my eldest daughter from school and she had lost that spunky uh, uh, skip in her step because at school she had lost the only two friends that she had had. They had kind of turned on her and she felt alone and she didn't understand why they didn't like her at school. I wondered again, what had I done? Why didn't I do what some of our family members were thinking? Just get that missionary stuff out of your system and get back here and take good care of your kids. My wife uh, rolled over toward me in bed at that moment, and then it occurred to me, you know, my wife and my children, they love me. That began to be the door that opened hope for me in the present. It helped me break through the despair that I was feeling with this simple present truth that my wife and children love me. Have you had those moments? How did you access hope in those moments of despair? Okay. I'm going to ask you to do something rather unorthodox in church. We're all supposed to not be on our phones while we're here. I actually would like you to pull out your phone and do a little exercise with me. I'll do it with you. Yes, I know it's sort of odd. You're trying to hide your phone, make sure it's on silence, but I'd like you to pull it out. And while you're holding your phone, I'd like you to think through somebody that's in your contacts list on your phone for whom you are grateful. Just take a moment, just like 30 seconds here, and just ask the Lord to bring to mind somebody that you're really grateful for. You really appreciate. You're thankful the Lord has brought them into your life. Okay? You got that person? All right. And now I'd like you to do what you will probably never other do again in church. I'd like you to text them. Right now, text them. And just tell them, 
I'm really grateful for you, thankful for you. I'm sitting in the middle of the church, and I thought of you, and I'm grateful for you. Go ahead and just text them. I'm gonna, I've got a few minutes. No, not a long one. I still have some more stuff I want to share with you. So, a couple of lines. I'm going to do the same. If you want to work on it a little bit afterwards, that's fine too. Just don't forget to press send. Now, I want you to pay attention to what happened in the room. Did you feel the levity? Just a little bit of levity. We just created space for hope. There is somebody out there that you're grateful for, that God has blessed to you. It's right here, right now. There is hope in the present that you can experience, and gratitude is a wonderful tool to access the hope of the Lord. Did you like that exercise? You, you can do it again. You don't have to do it just once. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances. I used to think of this more as a command that you were supposed to obey. I don't like these circumstances. Thank you, Lord, for these circumstances. And I didn't really see it as a gift of hope that the Lord wants to give us. When we actually can be thankful for the things around us, it buoys us and gives us hope. When I was working in these African-American churches while I was here in Memphis, one of my favorite things to do was to go to their Wednesday night prayer services. Now, it's not like Wednesday night prayer services that I've ever been to in some of the churches I've grown up in. This was a time to pray and to testify. So we would be in a room like this, and somebody would stand up over here and say, remember last week I told you that my washing machine broke? Just yesterday, a new washing machine showed up on my porch. And then everybody would, would clap, and then they'd sing another song, and then they would pray, and somebody else would say, you know what, I didn't have enough money for my rent, and just the other day, I got a check in the mail for a rebate that I wasn't anticipating, and it was exactly amount, the amount that I needed to pay for rent. And then everyone would cheer and celebrate and be excited. They were testifying. And I want to just testify with you a little bit in the same way that these uh, young women were testifying to you earlier about the presence of God. Some of you know that we have been in the process of purchasing a hospitality house, a retreat center for missionaries. This was a crazy adventure that meant we needed to raise 1.7 million US dollars. Now, I am not a development person. I am a shrink. I don't know the first thing about raising money. My wife is much better at this than I am, but she also uh, is an executive coach, has a master's in communication. We didn't have any training on this. We prayed about this as a team. We really felt like the next step for our team to really provide what missionaries most need was to have a place where they could come and unwind and really take full advantage of whatever counseling prayer, coaching uh, that they were getting in a place that was safe and that was beautiful. And we found this place two years ago. 
We prayed and discerned that this was the right property for us, and then we began to raise money. And as time went on, over two years, we came up with the first down payment, $850,000, last July, July of 2022. That was a miracle in and of itself. And then we had to raise more money until the very uh, last couple of months in which we had decided um, we were going to make the full amount, but as it turns out, we got stuck at about $155,000 left that we needed. It, we were on this number for months, so we decided to set our clocks for 155, all of us did, and we prayed at 155 every day as a team, asking the Lord to bring in this last amount of money. Well, some money began to come in. Uh, we ended up at about 100,000, stalled there for about a month. We all prayed together as a team, still praying at 155. The last week, we had $100,000 still left to raise by this last July 1. A church uh, from one of our other teammates gave 35,000 out of nowhere. We were expecting a couple thousand, they gave $35,000. Then it kind of got us excited. Well, maybe, maybe the Lord is actually gonna come up and do what he told us he would do two years ago and give us this full amount of $1.7 million. The day before, July 1st, June 30th, Amy and I were working out at this uh, facility. We, we already had access to it. We were sitting there. I opened up my email, and I got this email, the one you don't like to get, that started off with, Dear Dr. Galloway, we regret to inform you, and I almost didn't finish the email because I knew what it was going to say. Just another foundation that was telling us that they weren't going to be able to give us the money. But then I saw this number there. It was the exact number that we needed in the email. And as I read further, it said, we are sorry that we can't give you the full amount that you had requested, but we have decided to give you $75,000. It was the exact amount that we needed the day before we were about to close on the property. It was incredible to me. I, I couldn't believe it. All the people that had given $30 to $300,000 and it all added up to this one particular moment right before it was due. We went in to our other teammates. There were two others. We, we told them what was going on. Uh, Amy was making fun of me because I threw my ear pods out in, in screaming when I read the email. We were laughing about it. They were crying about it. Right as I told them, all of our watches went off. It was 1.55 p.m. The Lord had answered our prayer at the exact time he said he would, even though we weren't so sure it was going to happen. It's, it's a wonderful story. Yeah. yeah, thank you. So hopefully, even as I share that story with you, as I testify to the Lord's goodness, to us and to the missionaries that will come to this property, you too get to borrow off of that hope for yourself. In a world filled with depressing, upsetting stories that rob us of hope, we need to be sharing real-time stories of God's very present help in trouble. so that we can abound in hope. The last one I want to close with is transcending 
One final avenue besides past, present, and future is outside of time altogether, where we transcend time. He gives us the ability to do this. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In my work with trauma survivors, I've seen God minister to them through power in art, in music. Did you feel it? When we, when we sing these songs in worship to God, it does something to us that transcends us, pulls us up out of our circumstances so that we can experience more of God and then lets us in the present, in the here and now, move with boldness because of who God is. God gives us a way to be lifted out of our misery into a wider space of his glory and his beauty. I was recently in Ukraine, and I had a jazz pianist who was with me. We wanted to do a coffee house for all of these refugees uh, that were with David and Katya Butz in their ministry just to give them a moment of uh, relief from all the other horrible things that they had experienced and even the struggles that they currently have since they lost their homes, they lost family members, uh, they lost their towns, they lost uh, photo albums, all sorts of things that meant something to them. We wanted to give them something that would lift their spirits and give them hope. I was talking with her about trauma and what she thought would be a good uh, piece that we could use at this coffee house time. She said there was a song, uh, this piece of music called Spiegel and Spiegel that she wanted to play. I said, okay, let's, let's play that. She said, well, it takes a cello and a piano. Well, I knew that one of the people we had worked with had a musical family, called them up, said, do you have anyone that plays the cello in Ukraine? Yes, my sister is a concert celloist. Said, okay, that'll work. Uh, would she be willing to play a song with this American jazz pianist? Yes, that would be great. We set them up. They played uh, just like three hours of practice before, which is unheard of for a 10-minute piece that they were going to play. Then the coffee house came. We had crafts and pieces of art around there just to try to help lift their spirits, to give them a break from all the misery that they were living out in their lives. They began to play this piece, and uh, people began to slow down. After about a minute or two into this piece, no one was moving. They all were watching this cello and this piano talking back and forth in this beautiful piece that they were playing. People began to cry, but they were good tears. When people would come into the room, they would line up against the wall because they could tell they didn't want to disturb something that was happening in that room as they were playing this beautiful piece. It was a sacred moment that we all got to be a part of. And these Ukrainian refugees were being lifted out of their despair in experiencing something of the glory of God for those 10 minutes, and I got to be a witness to that and see it. No one in that room will forget what happened during that 10-minute period of time. And the thing that they experienced was hope. While I've been preparing this sermon, this hymn kept coming to my mind. 
My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. What form of art or beauty brings hope to you? Don't miss it in this world of craziness and fear and hopelessness. I want to thank you for your support of Amy and me. Through you, we have had the honor of giving hope to hundreds of missionaries over the years. And I pray we get to do this for many more years to come. Thanks to you all. I just want to end in a prayer and a blessing over you, okay? Loving Father, your Son is our living hope. We thank you that we have all these ways that we can access you despite all the difficulties and troubles and trials that we see around us. Thank you for the gift of being so filled with your hope that we overflow to others around us. Make us those people today and in the days to come. Now, a blessing from Ephesians 1, 18 to 19. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Amen.